Hey everybody, it's Chris Aiken here, just reminding you that all of my books are available on sale over at chrisakinbooks.com. And for you dummies that can't spell my last name, that's A-K-I-N. So C-H-R-I-S-A-K-I-N-B-O-O-K-S.com. Get them. Whether you want the fun musical stuff or you want the depressing divorce and burn accident stuff, it's all there. So go to chrisakinbooks.com. Prepare yourself to be blown away by the seismic sound and scrutiny of... Aftershocks Podcast with Chris Aiken and Matt Hartnett. Welcome to another episode of Aftershocks on AfterShocksPodcast.com. And joining us today, we've got one of metal's all-time best vocalists. Most of you know him from L.A.'s industrial groove metal pioneers, Fear Factory. And he's here to talk about his other outfit, Goth Rocker's Ascension of the Watchers, who are set to unveil their sophomore release, Apocrypha. Comes out October 9th on Dissonance Records. Mr. Burton C. Bell, what's happening, Bert? Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Matt. Thank you for having me. And uh, all's well. I'm healthy, and I hope the same for you. Yes. No, thanks, Brian. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the new uh, record, Apocrypha, man, all I could say is that this is a big step forward for the band, in my opinion. Uh, I'll go ahead and, and just give you my quick you know, take on what I'm, I'm hearing from the, uh, the new record. You know, first off, the production to me is really top-notch on this one, man. Much improved from uh, the debut uh, Numinosum back in 2008, and your vocals... Thank you. You know, yeah, your vocals are really... They're up, up and, you know, they're front and center where they belong, in my opinion. I mean, I felt like maybe on the debut they were kind of more blended in, and, and even sometimes they were kind of in the background. But, um, mm. but yeah, I think uh, I think what really gives the songs, too, more flavor and edge is the addition you got of your drummer, Jace Lewis, who, I mean... He really adds those, you know, Igor Cavallera-esque tribal percussive fills, you know, which really make, I think, the song. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and he is a fan of Igor. You know, he's a dr- as a drummer, he is a fan of you know, classic Igor. So, yeah, yeah, that was definitely something that was uh, part of that. Uh, you're right. You know, the production on his album is definitely um, far different than the last record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's multiple reasons for that. Uh, the last record was done, first of all, entirely digitally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's it wasn't much depth to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, vocally, um, I was a little bit insecure, mm-hmm. maybe, about uh, trying, you know, exposing myself into a new territory. Mm-hmm. So that might have had something to do with it. Uh, but it was after we released the last record, Numinosum, that we started playing, you know, we did, did live shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we were performing the shows and after performing the shows i realized that the sound of the songs sounded so much more powerful mm-hmm. live you know with the live drums with the live guitar everything just together uh organic but not messy mm-hmm. and that's when i realized damn it that's that's the sound that needs to be uh captured on the next record and uh Meeting Jace was just a very fortunate event in that. And, uh, you know, him 
the fact that he was he built a studio and we were able to you know, finally come together. Uh, you know, have having live drums on the record mm-hmm. made a huge difference. Uh, live guitar, utilizing a, a modern analog mm-hmm. studio, which is mixing analog and Pro Tools together, uh, where you're getting the entire depth frequencies of lows and highs, which you miss digitally. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a big was a big factor of it. So, you know, before recording this album, Jason and I and John spoke in length uh, about music, about theory of music, about uh, uh, production music and music, and about my uh, wishes and dreams for the next record. Uh, we would play different, you know, we would play each other different music, uh, different albums, different styles of music. But the, what every album we played each other, what they had in common was a high production quality, mm-hmm. where you could just hear depth in music mm-hmm. uh, that you don't hear anymore, and that's the one thing that we wanted to capture for this record. And uh, as Jace, as a producer, understood it and he captured it and made it happen. You know, this record, mm-hmm. honestly, this record wouldn't be the way, wouldn't sound this way without Jace. Um, he was superiorly incremental in the making of this record. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I, like I said, I noticed there's a lot more rock on this record where I think on the last record it was really more of the dark ambient uh, with, with a little bit of rock in there, but not as much. But, uh, you know, you just... Right. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned... Yeah, it's part, it's part of the growing experience as a band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're wanting, you know, have taking the time over 10 years to really figure out what we wanted to achieve. Sure. Mm-hmm. No, totally. And you just uh, brought up uh, about the, you know, where the uh, the record was recorded at the studio, uh, which was a renov- you know, it's a studio was renovated from a disused building connected to an ancient manor in South Wales, and uh, you know, on the press release I read, it also talks about there was an uh, inadvertent recording that occurred during a vocal session for the title track. So talk a bit about that particular moment in recording and how the setting itself contributed to the overall, you know, aura of the record. God, I love this story because it's true. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to, to start off the setting uh, for Northstone Studios, it is set uh, next to, it's set next to a 250-year-old manor mm-hmm. in the rolling countryside of South Wales. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pastoral, green landscapes, you know, trees, rolling hills, you know, green grass. You, know, you name it, and it's just very, very serene. But this manor, obviously 250 years old, has history to it. The manor was built on top of the ruins of an ancient monastery. Oh, wow. Okay. And some of these stones are still uh, surrounding the manor, and these stones, uh, Jace built the studio with his own hands, mm-hmm. with turns, they built it by hand utilizing the stones that were part of the manor uh, and this monastery to create Northstone Studios. Mm-hmm. So, needless to say, I don't know whether you believe in energy or not, I am a believer in science and physical science, mm-hmm. and to move into metaphysical science, that I know one thing, and that is energy is a constant. Mm-hmm. So, um, whatever you know, powers our bodies, powers is something that continues throughout life. So here we are recording in the studio and, you know, it's just Jason and I in the studio. Um, 
you know, we, we would go in in the morning. Uh, he's got a, you know, in one of the rooms, he's got a coffee station with a shelf, with, you know, coffee, tea, whatever. And he's got a small, you know, a little table with the, you know, the kettle. Uh, and he's got a, a small refrigerator, like a dorm refrigerator. And uh, they're all you know, in this little corner. So we would, re, you know, there was moments we were, we would finish the day and we would lock up the studio. So clean everything up, lock up the studio. Chase has the only key. So the morning we'd come back and we go to, you know, we open it up and we go to the, you know, do our thing and we eventually make it to the coffee station. And there's like, this happened two or three times. There'd be stuff on the floor from the coffee station, you know, silverware, uh, tea bags, you know, just things just falling off the shelf mm-hmm. and just kind of thrown on the floor in front of in front of the area. And uh, as human, as as intelligent people and rational people, we were able to explain it away. Okay, oh, you know, you know, the refrigerator must have shaken off or something and vibrated everything off. So easy to explain away, mm-hmm. simple. We even experimented. It. Yeah, that happened. Um, things started, you know, there's something started becoming a little bit more, uh, unexplainable. Um, uh, and the, the one day things really came to a head, almost to a head where, um, we were doing the vocals for Apocrypha. Chase and I, Chase is on the other side of the window in the control room. I am in the little booth in front of the window that we created, uh, doing vocals, and I go into the booth to try to start doing vocals. Chase is not hearing anything at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I hear him, but he's not hearing me come to the microphone. Mm-hmm. So a couple minutes later, he's you know, after exhausting all everything on his end, he comes into the vo- you know, into the room. He checks the cable connection to the microphone. He follows the cable all the way to the room where the coffee station is, where the multi in- the multi input. Uh, uh, box was for the cables of uh, the mic and the drums and everything and he noticed that the cable to the microphone was pulled out now if you don't know anything about XLR cables you put it into a multi-input you have to like you know grasp uh, class to to unlock it from the input Mm -hmm. And and for some reason this was the microphone cable was pulled out so I go, why'd you do that, James? I didn't see you do that before we left. He goes, I didn't do that. Why'd you do that? I'm like, I didn't do that. And we're like, well, maybe I tripped over it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's possible. So we start doing vocals for the song Apocrypha. And, uh, you know, two, three hours later, uh, I start, you know, I want to take a break. And uh, he goes, okay, I'll, I'll use this time to clean up the files on Pro Tools uh, to gather things together. And as he's going through the files, he goes, Bert, um, he notices something at the end, past the, the completion of the song, there's like this little weird waveform that should not have been there. And he goes, what's that? I go, I don't know. If there's no music, I wouldn't be singing. And why would you be recording it anyway? He goes, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So we listen to it, and uh, we hear this weird sound, and then this static and weird sound again. I go, Fuck, what is that? You got to turn it up and kind of, you know, clear it out, clear it, kind of you know, make it so we can hear it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it turned on, when we turned it up, it was the sound of the wooden door between the control room and the live room I was in 
opening up that creaking door. Wow. And all of a and all of a sudden, for some reason, no reason at all, Chase would never do this because it would blow out his entire system. But the game on the microphone was turned up so loud where it was like you could hear the white noise of the microphone itself. Wow. And then right after that, you hear this whisper. Like, you know, as soon as I heard it, I go, oh, my God, this is someone talking. <laughs> and uh, it's like you hear the syllables of someone saying some words. Mm-hmm. It's not English. I don't know what language it's in. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And then after the words stop, you hear the door closing. Wow. Now, if that was me walking to the studio and the mic was amped up that much, you would have heard Jason and I talking in the background. Mm-hmm. You hear nothing like that. Wow. Um, so either I was in the booth when this happened or, or, or it happened while either of us were away. But this, this came through. And I, go, I don't know what the fuck that is. Mm-hmm. But whatever it is, it is the intro to the song. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, wow. I have no idea what language is it. I, is it ancient Latin? Is it ancient Welsh? Because, you know, it's in, it's in South Wales. Is it ancient Gaelic? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Um, and that was not the last, in, uh, that was not the last instance that happened. You know, there was another instance a couple days later um, that as I was doing vocals and, the, the, and to backtrack a little bit, all the really big um, moments started happening when I was doing vocals. Mm-hmm. And as I was doing vocals on a different song, I was uh, in the booth again, uh, you know, on the other side of the window, Jason in the control room. And, you know, after a take, we were talking to each other. He's on, he's on the talk back, you know, we're speaking to each other. And as I'm talking, as we're talking, I hear this enormous racket, like, you know, it's crashing sound in the control room. I go, what the fuck was that? He goes, I don't know. And he, all of a sudden, uh, you better come in here. So uh, as I walked in, there was, I opened the door and there, in front of the door, was a drum skin for a snare drum that I've been drawing on, and the coffee table that sat six feet in front of the door, with the the, the uh, couch on the other side of it, where I was you know drawing on the drum skin. The drum skin was on uh, and hit the door. And Jace goes, the funny thing was is that while we were talking, I saw something out of the out of the periphery of my eye, and all of a sudden that smashing, that crashing sound on the door wow. something threw that that drum head across oh, across the room into the door wow. we neither could neither of us were able to explain it another thing that happened was after i left like the day after i left uh, to go back to the united states um, chase uh, walks into a studio walks into the control room and like most studios he has uh he has guitar heads mm-hmm. in a corner ready for people to use. One of the, it was a Laney guitar head. Mm-hmm. And one of the Laney guitar heads was pushed off the shelf mm-hmm. and dangling from his power cord. And there's no reason, obviously Jace would never do that. Sure. There's no one else has the key to it. And that thing weighs almost like you know, 40 pounds. Wow. And he walks into that and he goes, man, crazy and since a couple of things have happened as well he's seen a couple of shadows that he can't explain mm-hmm. 
So there's definitely some energy. Sure. <laughs> has, I mean, has he experienced that before in that studio with the stuff like that happening? Or just from the, I'm not, the not on that level, no. Wow. Mostly before, before this before this recording session, it was mostly like the, the, you know, the articles of, you know, from the coffee station area knocked onto the floor and that was about it. Okay. But not at that level. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Well, I mean, you know, uh, speaking of that, I mean, it seems like, you know, just going into the next question I have, I mean, where you write and record music for Ascension is usually just as important as who you make it with. Right. So, I mean, this is a perfect example. Absolutely. That, right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I believe, um, I believe that uh, nature is a big part of, of your recording experience and your environment. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's why a lot of recording studios have a great vibe, great ambience, you know, for the artists to really open up and, you know, be creative. To, and North Stone is that place. But on top of that, there's a lot of old energy still lingering around. Wow. Well, that, I guess that makes a perfect setting for an Ascension record, for sure. Absolutely, <laughs> right? it sure did. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> awesome. And, well, uh, yeah, I mean, speaking of the new record, I mean, unfortunately, we would have probably been hearing that a lot sooner, right, if it wasn't for that whole Pledge music fiasco that affected you guys and somebody yeah. else, right, back then? I mean, Absol yeah, absolutely. I, that must have been so difficult. I mean, I mean, throughout that whole ordeal, did you ever consider just throwing in the towel with this record since you dealt such a tough blow? Because, I mean, not only did it stop obviously the momentum of what you were doing at the time musically, but also sort of then puts the onus now on you guys to financially fund the rest of the album as well. You know? You're absolutely right on all fronts. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a huge disappointment when, uh, you know, the news that Pledge Music was going bankrupt. We would never see the money. Uh, you know, the money that we you know were spending on our own, we were hoping we would get in the pipeline. I'm sure you've heard that term used many times with musicians. There's always money in the pipeline. Uh, mm -hmm. It's going to come later. Yep. So knowing that that money never came, uh, was never going to come, really, it did put a, 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 a it really put, uh, um, you know, uh, it was a huge step back. Mm -hmm. But we used, it was bittersweet at the same time where we decided, okay, now there's no time restriction. Um, so we can take our time uh, to finish this record. Luckily, we had completed recording, mm -hmm. so all we had to do was mix it. Uh, and to do that, we just really um, uh, loans from friends and family mm -hmm. to uh, finish the record, to complete it. And luckily, since we weren't on a time restraint, the fact that we had enough time to mix it and take our time mixing it mm -hmm. uh, was reflected in the production of this record. Mm -hmm. It sounds like there was a lot of time taken, a lot of care taken, into the sound and production of this album. Mm -hmm. So there was that positive aspect that really came across. And we had the time to really find a right uh, distributor to, one, to distribute the record to the UK, Europe, and, and in North America, mm -hmm. but two, a label that would honor the pleasures who uh, ordered a CD and vinyl. Mm -hmm. So luckily, you know, finding that it shows that you know we have everyone's intention and and respect at heart, mm -hmm. and we're we're gonna come out as heroes. So those who did uh, order CD and vinyl will receive uh, the vinyl, even though they might have gotten their money back. We're gonna honor it anyway, mm -hmm. and everyone who pledged will get a digital download. Okay. So 
uh, and then the rest of the items we'll figure out as time comes but you know we, it's something we can take our time on so yeah pledge music was a huge setback but bittersweet it kind of worked out in our favor yeah no it is and obviously it said the, the record's great man you know just talking about you know lyrically i mean although you've definitely incorporated some you know of your personal sentiments into fear factory lyrics over the years i think ascension is definitely seems to display much more of it in the music and lyrics from what i can gather i mean when you create like that from a more personal place is it difficult to put it out there and have it judged by people that don't know you enough to understand what you know what you're trying to say uh yeah it, it can be uh you know, I was very, I'm, yes, I'm obviously apprehensive about it, mm-hmm. but as an artist, you know, I always consider myself an artist, that this is what we do. Mm-hmm. We put our heart on our sleeve. I would say that Apocrypha and Essential Watchers is the most personal uh, project I have ever worked on, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, over the 10 years that we've been writing, uh, I would sit down and play, you know, pick up the guitar uh, start strumming the chords that I was feeling coming from myself mm-hmm. or would sit down at the piano and start playing chords that resonated within myself. Mm-hmm. And I would work out structures uh, for these chords and create, you know, songs so I could demo them over time. Sure. And that's what I did over 10 years. And it was always after some poignant moment, some moment in my life that had a, a, a deeply personal impact on me. Mm-hmm. So this album is, you know, a deeply personal album um, you know, reflecting different parts of different moments in my life mm-hmm. and life life, it's not linear mm-hmm. um, and it's never the same. So every song is completely different. It holds a different emotion and it conveys a different mood and uh, it tells a story over 10 years. Sure. Yeah, no, no, and no. I, I am wearing my heart on my sleeve for this album. Oh, awesome. Very cool. Um, yeah, I mean, so is is Ascension now, is it going to become, I guess, more of a semi-full-time thing along with Fear Factor? Or is this still just a, I guess, quote-unquote project that you'll revisit from time to time, depending on your schedule? Well, with the six, you know, I feel that this record, would, to not tour it would be a disservice. Yeah. So um, my all my attentions and energies are focused on the watchers at this time. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I just and uh, quickly, just um, you know, with your vocals, I mean, your sound, style, and approach. I mean, it's always been very influential, you know, on so many uh, you know metal bands. And in fact, I mean, you you essentially changed the game forever with your style. I mean, I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, so many bands, thank you. Yeah, you really did, man. I mean, I mean, so many bands began to emulate, you know, uh, your your you know vocals, uh, especially you know in the late '90s, early 2000s there. But I think the problem is it's not something that may, many were able to pull off very well, which is why you're not hearing as much now as you, uh, as we used to, you know, uh, at that time. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to mention any names or nothing, but I think a lot of those attempts, they came out sounding pretty watered down and kind of wimpy, to be honest with you. But, I mean, obviously, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's got to feel good, though, obviously, knowing that so many, you know, have been influenced by your approach. But at the same time, I mean, it's got to be a little disappointing when the end result really was kind of average. But if you could just take us back a bit, what was... What was going through your mind back then when you heard all these bands emulate your style, but you know they weren't you know able to make it as original and as unique as yours was? Well, you said it right there. Often imitated, never replicated. Yeah. <laughs> and like you said, you know you don't have to mention names, but when you said when you say it's watered down versions of Fear Factory, I know exactly who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, uh, knowing that Fear Factory 
and the work that we have done through the years and the people we have influenced, I think that just speaks for itself. Um, her band that will always get recognition and the respect that the band that watered it down will never get. Sure. So for me, as an artist, just knowing that I was able to influence younger minds and younger artists, mm -hmm. for me, I have done a service to the world. And so I think that's what, that's what music and art is all about. Mm -hmm. It's about inspiring. And if I'm able to inspire, then I have, I have lived a good life. You know, as an artist myself, I am inspired uh, and influenced by a, a plethora of different artists myself. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was able to come up with something uh, new and different from these artists, I'm, I'm grateful. Yeah, no, I mean, it, but you definitely have inspired. I mean, not just, you know, uh, vocalists, but I mean, just metal fans in general around the world. Uh, you know, just, just one last question, Bernal, let you go. I mean, just the other day we found out, you know, uh, through Dino that, at least on his end, Fear Factory, the legal stuff, has been kind of put to rest, and there'll be indeed some new music coming out sometime next year. So, I mean, instead of me peppering you with any specific questions, if you, if you don't mind, if you could just go ahead and just tell us, right now what you know what's happening with the camp and what we can we expect in the near future well um we finished and delivered uh, a new fear factory record in 2017 mm -hmm. uh, mixed mastered our work and everything mm -hmm. now um we'll see what nuclear blast releases i have no idea okay. uh, like i said you know my my focus is, uh, is ascension of the watchers sure well, and, and it's, I mean, it, it, I think it definitely should be at this point because Apocrypha is a phenomenal album. And to our listeners out there, definitely check it out, Apocrypha. It comes out October 9th. And, uh, Bert, why don't you uh, go ahead and pick a song off the record. We'll play a little clip, or, uh, clip for it for the listeners at the end here. And uh, if you don't mind, maybe just tell us a quick little story about the song itself. Well, um, I'm going to pick the title track. And since we spoke about the story... I think people should hear what we're talking, what I'm talking about. So mm -hmm. I'm going to pick uh, the title track Apocrypha for people to get a, a, an interesting, an interesting uh, uh, view into the making of the album. Fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, here it is. Here's Apocrypha. Thanks for listening to Aftershocks.
Thanks for listening to Aftershocks. For more episodes, go to our website at www.aftershockspodcast.com. Visit us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for more news and information on the podcast. And be sure to subscribe, listen to, and review all episodes on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other podcast platforms. For your music listening pleasure, visit our website or go to www.shockwavesradio.com. For all comments and questions, please email us at info at aftershockspodcast.com.